You're listening to Irish Radio Canada's Home and Abroad, and uh, I have the wonderful opportunity of, if you haven't heard, introducing you to the presenter of Simply Folk on RTE, and it's a program I would recommend that you find and tune into also. And the presenter is Ruth Smith. Ruth's originally from Port Dumbling, County Galway, and I had the pleasure of meeting her in New Orleans last year at Folk Alliance International. And uh, we hopefully would have been bumping into each other again at Folk Alliance 2021 in Kansas, but that is virtual this year. Thank you, Austin. Great to have you here. And I must say, it's good to catch up. Going straight back to Portumna and the family in Portumna. Music in the family. Yeah, back to where it all started. Um, a musical family and a hurling family. And we grew up in a in a pub on the main street just opposite the square uh, called The Maple. And funnily enough, actually, given that you have your Canadian roots, but... Um, I was always aware of the fact that there was a Canadian link to the maple tree across the road and the fact that we called the pub the maple. So there you go. Right. Fantastic. Yeah. So um, in the pub, a strong musical uh, tradition there, lots of sessions, lots of musicians. Yeah, it was very much a family-run pub and a, a, a talker's pub and a musician's pub as well. So my mother is a fiddle player and she grew up in Abbey, in East, Clare, er, in East Galway, sorry, small village, um, Abbey Denairy. And yeah, she was very dedicated for about 15, 20 years, had a session every Tuesday night and it was, you know, before any amplification, it was all acoustic. It was very much an impromptu kind of gathering. Um, and over the years... We started to have regulars and then a lot of, you know, I suppose during the summer months, usually we'd have people who travel um, because Portumna is on the, the, the mouth of the Shannon and Loch Derg, um, or the mouth of Loch Derg where the Shannon meets it. And so it's just beside North Tip, Offaly, and you're very close to East Clare as well, where I live now. So not far from Whitegate and Mount Shannon. So yeah, just the catchment Around Portumna, you know, from North Tip, the O'Briens, Eileen, um, you had the in Ballinakill, of course, Aggie White and the Fahis, um, Joe Burke, you know, there was they'd they'd make an appearance now and again. Um so yeah, it was it was a wonderful stamping ground as a as a youngster. Not only did you get the I suppose the, the apprenticeship behind the bar and having to deal with the public and you know, Tuesday nights were always late nights from a very young age. Because um, I my bed my bedroom was over the pub as well, so even when I did go to bed, there was still music and chat. And I suppose that's that's something that's definitely stayed with me: the fact that I absorbed a lot of of music from a very young age. Yeah, before I ever started to play. And um, what was the first instrument you did start to play? Fiddle was my first instrument, and I went to Tina. Um, God, I cannot remember her name now. I think her name was Lines. It was. And she had a had a family Cayley band and she actually taught me from her bed. She was very ill at the end of her life. And I still have the manuscripts that she wrote out all the, the tunes in. Um, and then Mam obviously played a bit with me as well. Um, but I used to come out and do my little tune in the in the session and all my my siblings played. I mean there was se- there's seven of us. So we all played some instrument or two instruments, piano and something else. Um so yeah, I definitely took to the performance bug pretty early. And actually Vincent Vincent Hogan, who was from Aircourt in Galway, not far from Banlasloe, <laughs> um he was a regular at the session and he would always get me to play his fiddle. He lo- he loved hearing me play his fiddle. And he left his fiddle to me 
um, when he passed away. So yeah, just lovely, lovely connections, Austin, and lovely memories. And it's it's really interesting. I I got the double CD of Aggie White there last week or two weeks ago from her grandson Michael Harrison, uh, the fiddle player with full set. And he has compiled and curated this this wonderful tribute to her music. And listening to it, so many of the tunes that she played were in the session. Do you know? Um, so yeah, I'm very excited to, to listen to it more and, and play along if I can as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's lovely to know that so much of the, the tunes that you were hearing week in, week out were part of a repertoire that was very much from East Galway, you know? Right. When you mention East Galway when learning the fiddle and now that you're in... Claire, there's always a comment or, or a slight difference in style of play, like there is mm. in an accent. Yeah. Um, you know, and it, have you noticed that even within a very short distance? I probably wouldn't be having authority on it because, you know, even ta- even here in Martin Hayes talk about his style, you know, and he's very much now sort of the, the benchmark of what East Clare's style is, but he will talk about the fact that you know, he kind of found his own individual style as well. So I think regional styles, no more than regional accents or, or even the dialects in Irish, you know, there there are things that can carry, the, the characteristics of them. Um, but then you've got personal nuance as well, you know. Um, but I think East Clare and East Galway, it's more West Clare would have a difference mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To, to East Clare. I think there's something about East Clare and East Galway because of the proximity and and I suppose I feel very at home in East Clare because of that. Um, it's sort of like a little forgotten patch, <laughs> you know, of inland, an inland area. And because it's so connected by the Shannon waters and Loch Derg as well. Um, yeah, so I wouldn't be an authority on that. Um, yeah. Uh, well, you don't need it. It's a feel more than than yeah. than, than, than a thesis. But all uh, I all I know is I like it, Austin. That's that's, that's all that's important. <laughs> and in fairness, as well, when we moved here, my husband Fergal uh, plays the fiddle for his gal um, with Wee Banjo Three, and someone said to him, "Jesus, this, it'll slow you down now going to East Clare, because yeah. <laughs> he'd be quite the fast fiddler." Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I love the tunes of Junior Crehan, and you know. I love all that kind of Paddy Fahey's tunes really caught me from a very young age, like Liz Nivon Kane and how they play. Um, and yet they're West Galway. Or, yeah, West Galway. They're out in Connemara, of course. So, yeah, I suppose all these little seeds get transplanted and regardless of where you move, you find the thing that you resonate with. I know the first Paddy Fahey tune I heard and I just, whatever it was, the melancholy or the 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 magical, it was sort of a magical sound. Um it really pulled me in. So, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, you, um, you went after secondary school, you went together, you became a teacher? I did. I had notions. To <laughs> I studied I studied um, drama and theatre studies and music, and I ended up majoring in drama and theatre studies um, and then wanted to become an actress. That was it. That was what I was going to do. Um, hit the big time. And in fairness, I was encouraged to do my HDIP and I'm glad I did. And I taught for, I taught in secondary schools mostly and then in primary schools as well doing music and drama for, I think, nearly, you know, on and off for about 10 years and loved it, really loved that that side of life. But I always knew there was something niggling at me that I needed to address my own kind of 
creative stuff as well. But you did hit the stage in the Olympia. You were in in once. I was in once the musical, yeah, okay. which a lot of people know, I suppose, with the Oscar win and yeah, I was I was there for a summer in the Olympia with once and played the the role of the ex girlfriend <laughs> who who tried to take him away uh, from from the girl. Um, so yeah, and and got to play the fiddle in that. It was it was great and dance and sing and act. So it was it was kind of drawn together all the the strings of the bow, if you like. Yeah. So would you say it then? Have, have you got the acting out of your system, or is it still something <laughs> that you want you want to get into every year to get up on stage? Well, I've kind of without even really trying to get into stuff, things would come my way. Like I'm, you know, I've never had an agent or anything like that. And I suppose your work begets more work in a way. Um, And I I have a theatre company here in East Clare with two friends of mine who are both, you know, very accomplished actresses, um, writers. And they, I suppose they decided to move back to East Clare where they're from and raise families. And um, the fact that we found one another feels feels lovely that we're still tending to that, do you know what I mean, that kind of fire. Um, and every year we try and do something, whether Ivan, Ivan Brennan might write something or Siobhan Donnellan, uh, that's their names, the two women I'm with, and we're called Wayward Theatre. So interestingly, our first show that we did, um, we put on in the Limerick Fringe, I think it was 2018 maybe, it was 18, yeah, um, and it got picked up to go to Broadway, off-Broadway. Um, to the Soho Playhouse. So that was a great start for our little East Clare Theatre Company. Indeed. And ever since we've been tipping away, but we're all very we're all busy in our own careers and we kind of come together then when we can and when we have time. So there's watch this space, Austin. Watch I will. Now when you say <laughs> your own careers, for 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 your listeners on RTE, your career as they would see it is simply folk. But that's only a small portion of your career because you mentioned it there. Music is a big part of it. And you are a performer. You have been on the road with music. Mm-hmm. A little and how many years were you on the road? Oh, I took I took many twists and turns. Um I kinda got pulled off track a little bit kinda mid twenties until my early thirties. Um and I kinda left it behind um in in some ways to do other stuff and and I just again knew I had to get back to it so I haven't really gone on the road like on tour as much do you know I've I've done most of my work at home um as a musician or a performer but the one thing that I did travel I, fe- I feel like I ran away with the circus on this one I got a job as the events coordinator with the Volvo Ocean Race in 2011 and I packed my bags and I went to Alicante in Spain and from there followed these these yachts around the world um everywhere from we went from Spain to South Africa we went to Dubai uh, or was it Abu Dhabi um China we went to New Zealand Brazil Florida came across the, the Atlantic then to Portugal up to Biarritz and finished in Galway mm-hmm. in the port in Galway which is the mm-hmm. last one so that was kind of my got that definitely got the the wanderlust and the kind of the travelling each out of my system. Um, great way to see the world, yeah. Yeah, I, how would you get a job even as a Vince Coordinator? 
<laughs> and something like that. Um, the, the right place at the the wrong place at the right time. Um, think think about that, Ruth. Is oftentimes I know for a job like that, you're run off your feet, and yeah. and there's an awful lot of pressure to deliver, and it yeah. all looks so wonderful. Now, yes, there's tremendous satisfaction, but. From all my years of traveling, I know, and from your years of traveling, you don't always get to appreciate the fullness of where you are because no. you're working. No, and it, it, because it was, it's a corporate gig, do you know what I mean? It was every every port, the race village had to be built. I mean, the logistics of it. I mean, you know, you were kind of leapfrogging the whole time. You were working two ports ahead, different time zones, and, um, and yet... In terms of cutting my teeth and lots of things, it was the first time I, I properly. Oh no, it wasn't the first time. We go back to that. The first time I, I was on radio, but I what I got to do was for the the race days, the import race days. I was the DJ and I was also the MC or the announcer. So that was a great way to kind of. I loved putting those playlists together. Like they were all just real kind of party up music, you know. Um, and then each port I'd go to, I'd try and get a flavour of what the music was and. But yeah, you don't you don't get a sense of the real place that you're in because it is kind of it's this artificial bubble that you're in, and you're a travelling circus as well. So you mm-hmm. roll in and you you pack up and you roll back out. Um, but yeah, I feel like I I really earned my stripes that year, and then straight out off that I ended up getting a job with the Olympics in London, and. I was like, <laughs> it's like you know, you might think working on the Olympics was stressful. It was like a walk in the park. I remember like feeling like I don't think I'll ever feel as stressed as I did in in a job ever again. So there's something about it being in the file. You know, you know you did it. You know you got through it. It felt like an endurance test. Um, yeah, and I was young as well and naive and. Learned an awful lot about the world. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so was that before or after the Evertides? So the Evertides, um, the Evertides happened then actually because I lived in London for a couple of years and I remember um, the Evertides, myself, Al McKelleher and Ruth McGill. So we all sang together. Now you're really testing my, my timeline here. Austin, um, we all sang together. I think it was around 2010 for the first time, and there was just this immediate fizzy kind of soul recognition when we sang together, and it was exciting. But then I went and ran away with the circus, the Volvo Circus, and then moved to London. And again, there was just something calling me home. There was this kind of I felt I felt really lost in London, even though I loved it and I was. I was Lindy Hopping. I was swing dancing every week. I was going to all these amazing places in Northwest London, and it was very intoxicating. And the work was great, and the money was good. And but I knew if I stayed on that ladder, that I would just end up living in London, <clears throat> and I didn't want to. I knew the the woods of East Clare or East Galway were calling me back. <laughs> like I never, I never thought I'd live anywhere else other than Dublin when I lived there. And yeah. I thought. London definitely got cities out of my system. I was like, no, I need to go back to somewhere that's green and slow and that I can do all this stuff, but I can still have... So when I came back, the Evertide started again. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, Long so, answer to a short yeah, question. There you go. So, so there you mentioned that this was around the time of you got your first radio. Tell us about your, your first radio gig. 
So I was doing my master's in the University of Limerick in trad performance and I was living in Limerick and I somehow, I really don't know how it happened. I got a, I got a job doing the late shift on Spin Southwest. Um, chart music, I felt very out of my depth because again, I had, you know, I had studied classical music and trad and, you know, folk and that was my thing and next thing I ended up doing this request show on Spin Southwest and you're left alone, you're in a studio on your own, you go in, you set up the, you know, the whole lot. So that was a real baptism of fire. Um, and I did a couple of stints, didn't think about radio again. That was it. That was kind of, I thought that was it. And about eight years later, I met I met someone at a friend's wedding. We were mutual friends of this person. We were friends, so we mutually met. <laughs> <laughs> through this mutual friend, you know what I mean? And this was Elizabeth Larragie, who is the producer, radio producer on Radio 1. And we were chatting and she just kind of, I, she was looking at me sort of funny and she said, she's from Cavan. You know the way they, they'd look at you around around the border? <laughs> I could say that because, I could say that because my dad is from Anaheim. From you, can also, and you can also say it because your eyes can't be seen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so she kind of looked at me a bit sort of sideways and she went, you've got a great voice. You, you'd you have a great voice for radio. And she said to me, do a demo, send in a demo. I didn't. I, I didn't do it for the next year. I Anyway, she came back to me again and said, will you do a demo? So reluctantly, I put a demo together. And again, probably what we were chatting about before we, we started recording, that sort of procrastination thing of like, I know I want to do it, but will I be good enough? You know, will it be good enough? So anyway, I sent in the demo and April 2017, I did a one hour special of a collection of music, no genre specific, just a one hour called Music with Ruth Smith and was delighted with it. You know, got to play Sinead O'Connor. I played Layla McCalla. I played, oh, I can't remember now who else I played, but there was a whole mix in it. Um, and I, again, thought that was that, and isn't that lovely that I got to do it? And they came back to me and said, we'd love you to do eight weeks of a folk music show. Tell us what you want to call it. Tell us, you know. And so I came back and I said, right, Simply Folk. And Peter Brown, uh, the Rolling Wave, was my producer for those eight weeks. And it was great working with him. He was he was coming to his retirement. And he he gave me a very calm kind of sage grounding in how to approach not only the technicalities of of radio but kind of like how you give yourself to it and how you maintain some sort of balance in it and I'm very grateful to Peter for that because there was there was a lot as I said just a lot of sage advice I suppose he'd learned through his career you know and and that was eight weeks and that finished and then Actually, the fact that you mentioned once the musical, when I knew I got the gig for once that summer, I said, I sent an email to, to management and to Elizabeth and I said, look, I'm going to be in Dublin for the whole summer um, if you want us to pick something up again. And then it started again and I ended up getting my weekly slot, which I'm still 
kind of amazed at. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I'm, I, I feel just a sort of a... I still feel quite um, giddy and excited at the thoughts that... A, a little seed of a dream that might have been planted when I was in my teenage years, you know. The fact that it was World Radio Day last weekend, I, I had to think about this and Lillian Smith, who's a colleague of mine in Radio 1, and I used to listen to her. She was she had just started in Radio in Radio 1, doing Late Date, and I used to listen to her in my, in my teens and, you know, over the pub, and I'd have my little Sony Hi-Fi that I was d- delighted with that I bought myself, and I'd time late date to go off at a certain time so I'd eventually go to sleep. But knowing that she was not only a woman, but she was also a smith, <laughs> kind of laid the ground for me in a sort of a an intention that this is something I could do, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm still, I'm still giddy at the thoughts that that so idea that, that I had... Yeah. That it was able to bring you to New Orleans last year. That you, you did a wonderful program on Pontchartrain and yeah. the connection on that. Um, had that been your first folk alliance, or had you? Because know, you weren't in Montreal the year before. No, 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 that was my very first folk alliance, and I had heard about it. You know, I'd heard about it through Fergal, obviously, and and other friends who had been to it, and so I was kind of prepared in some ways, but absolutely wasn't in others like you know you hit the ground running <laughs> jet lag and all and it's just like these sweaty cramped corridors of musicians and everyone to meet and yeah it's an amazing just an amazing gathering isn't it it is and you know there's um despite that it's a full number of days there's actually so little time because mm. there's so much wealth of tradition of music and everything there. So yeah. you end up in run off your feet. And I know uh, when when I listen to your Pancha Train programme, I think, when did she get time to get out to today? <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. And Elizabeth, who was the producer on that as well, I mean, we were kind of scratching our heads looking at us. I was go- yeah, looking at the timetable for it. But I do remember, I remember so vividly you walking up to me in the foyer, Austin, in that, I can't remember the hotel, what it was called, but I do remember you walking up. Were you with... Mary your, was with me. Your, yeah, your wife was there as well. Yeah. Um, and you were just so... It was almost like you knew me. And it was lovely to have that... Um, just that tether. Do you know that what I mean? East Gal- that East Galway. Yeah, yeah. And and it was lovely. And and it stuck with me. Do you know? So it's lovely now to be chatting for this. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, when when it comes to Simply Folk... You know, one of the things that is a challenge with music and the genre of folk is that there's this loosey-goosey kind of definition and there's uh, even those who would be inside it kind mm. of say, well, how do you draw the boundaries? And then trad is outside and they say, we should be in. How, mm. do, you, how do you approach it on a regular basis of saying, this is what I feel is what I want to do this week? Yeah. I... I really chewed over that question at the start. You know, I you know, expert. I I, th- I don't think even the most expert of people don't know everything. So um, I love the saying, "I don't know" is the start of all knowledge. So to be able to say, "I don't I don't know that person" or "I don't know that band" or you know, it's like then you have a chance to get to know something new. So even even the idea that it's like a a specialist folk music show, um, you can never catch 
everything in in the, this tiny net that you send out every week, you know, for one hour. So first and foremost, I think my own impulse and my own remit that I set for myself is this has to be an enjoyable hour of music for a listener. And and I suppose whether I think about it, you know, um, explicitly or not, or, or like kind of with a definitive sort of idea, I want to have some sort of arc in the show or some sort of connection to where we are in the time of the year. I think there's something very special about how folk music, traditional music is quite seasonal. Mm-hmm. And I I feel very aligned to that in my own life. It just in terms of the, the, the Celtic year and the, the agricultural year. Um, and I think folk music does that beautifully. It, like, through the ages, you know, we have songs from the 1600s that make us feel like they, they understand what it's like to go out on the May morning, you know, or, you know, what it feels like the first buds of spring or what it feels like in the depths of winter. Um, and I think that seasonal element of folk is something that I, I feel very aligned to. Um but then, of course, you know, new music, which I'm I, I'm so excited about the fact that new music has become retrospective new music. So this wonderful kind of going back to the well again and seeing what we can add to it, you know, seeing where the exciting um, kind of sidesteps bring us as well. And I think just amazing the amount of innovation that's happening within the folk and traditional sphere. So you sp- go on. No, I was going to say, then given like, and I know we mentioned this before we started that you you were a cold water swimmer. You go out and you, you swim a lot, and you're uh, very connected with your environment. On a particular morning or a particular day, as you might hit the water, and it's that um, total refreshing of you in the day happens. Would you ever kind of feel that? There's a piece of music that hits me now and then I want to share it. Yeah. Yeah, it does it does happen a lot. I suppose I do my best creative thinking when I'm out walking or when I'm not sitting at my desk, funnily enough. Um Yeah, I suppose there's something that I that I find in, in most songwriting. The person is all the personal is always universal. No matter how personal you think something is, like um, Neve Regan from East Galway. Let's, mm-hmm. let's stay with East, East Galway mm-hmm. theme while we're at it. And, and we chatted with Neve a few weeks ago. Oh, did uh, you? We did, Jan. Uh, yeah, uh, that that new album of hers, Hemmers, is a beautiful yeah, album. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And again, you can, like, I spoke to Neve last year for the show as well, and I knew of Neve before I ever met her because, um, is it Kilnadee McCultus? I think she went to um, Enda, my brother in law, Fergal's brother taught Neve to whistle in the Coltis branch. So okay. and and knowing that she's come from such a kind of a rooted tradition and has brought those sensibilities into a very modern, very alt folk, very personal style. Like you know, she's she sounds like the best of Karen Dalton and, and Sandy Denny and and Laura Marling and and yet she just sounds completely like herself, you know, sort of this unique talent that's just emerged. Very with so much humility. I think Neve is is an incredible artist from that point of view. <clears throat> Where was I going with this? I don't know, but was it with Neve? Oh, I, I, I do well, know. Yeah, okay, Neve. Regan, before you get there, yeah. was it with Neve? I saw you on the late plate, or was it with Emma Langford? 
Emma Langford, Emma, and it was Tommy, okay. the, Tom, the Tommy Tiernan show. Oh, Tommy Tiernan show, yeah. Bird, okay. bird song. But Neve Regan's Hemet, um, you know, she speaks about uh, her own personal motivation for a lot of the songs and, and the grief that she went through when her mother passed. But the song Freeze Frame, and I lost my aunt. She passed away on the 1st of January this year. And my uncle sent me a handwritten letter after he listened to Simply Folk the night that I played Freeze Frame. And he, he wrote a, like a, 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 you know, a paragraph about how much that song meant to him. And I then subsequently was in touch with Neve about something and I just said, my uncle just spoke so beautifully about how much this song meant and how it allowed him to have this sort of cathartic process, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Neve asked for his address, sent him an album, <laughs> and then he asked for her address and he <laughs> sent her a letter. Right. And so, like, when I talk about the personal being universal, I just said to Neve, like, isn't it amazing when you write something purely for your own process of grieving or loving or just your experience of life that feels so personal to you that someone who doesn't know you can have the exact same effect? I think that's just such a a beautiful side effect of someone creating art from a personal space. And the fact that folk song can do that you know, across hundreds of years, that songs that we don't even know the the author of can affect us in such a deep way. I think there's something very resonant and very, very of the earth and very timeless that kind of, it sort of, it sort of um, un- disarms you, do you know? Mm-hmm. So like categorization in folk music, I, you spoke about traditional and folk and I think in Ireland, like, there is quite a strong idea of what is traditional and what is folk, but that's blurring and blurring and blurring. And I think it's a good thing in many ways. I think having the pure drop is so important um, because that's that's the lifeline. That's kind of like the, the mother blood, you know, that kind of goes through it all. Um, but when I look to the BBC Radio Folk Awards, it's all folk. Like even the, the most traditional English instrumental music or Scottish Perth the Bale or, you know, the Welsh traditional singing, it's all considered folk. Mm-hmm. And I think Louis Armstrong said it, and I, I probably should learn the quote or his his phrase off by heart, because I think I always misquoted it. But I think what he said was, all music is folk music. I never heard a horse sing a song. Right. <laughs> so if the song comes from personal experience, that must be folk. Right. It depends on the musical treatment that you put around it. So, Ruth, we're going to have to wrap up, and that is actually—I ah, uh, know, You're I know, you know, me. but I'm not. But, but that is a perfect point because all is folk. So, simply folk goes out at what time on what day of the week? So, simply folk is an hour-long show. It starts at 10 p.m. on a Sunday night GMT, and I believe like Eastern time, maybe it's around four o'clock. Is it? I have a few um, fan, fans who listen in. Uh, ten would be um, four o'clock, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. F- uh, five hours, no, five o'clock. So yeah, around that. Yeah. And I suppose for you then in Ottawa, what would it be? Five o'clock. Five o'clock as well. Yep. So it's a nice Sunday afternoon. Listen for for those of you on the eastern seaboard of North America and Canada. It is because I, I was chatting with Carl, um, Carl Murray there two weeks ago, and um, of course, Carl is six p.m. our time to nine p.m. 
which is a lovely time to sit down in the evening and, you know, you don't have to be a night owl to catch late days. Perfect. And yeah, yours yeah, yeah. is a lovely time as well that you don't have to be a night owl to, to stay up and sit Well, here, Austin, you may as well throw the rolling wave in as well. It starts at 9pm GMT, so you have the rolling wave into Simply Folk, into... Colin Murray, late date for three hours. That's five yeah. hours of quality music on RT Radio 1. And if that hasn't earned me my commission, I don't know what will. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure and an honour chatting with you. Thank you, Austin.